All rise. All rise. The Honorable Chief Justice and, and Associate, Associate Justices, Justices of the Supreme Court of the State of North Carolina. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. The Supreme Court of North Carolina. All of our citizens across the state depend upon us to uphold and protect both the spirit and the letter of the law and to always apply the law fairly and impartially to every litigant who comes before this court. God save the state and this honorable court. Hello and welcome to All Things Judicial a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. I'm Chris Mears with the Judicial Branch Communications Office. In today's episode, we listen to an excerpt of an interview with Beaufort County Attorney Claude R. Wheatley, Jr. Wheatley was licensed to practice law in 1941 and earned recognition and praise as a general practitioner for over 70 years. After he finished, said, Welcome, uh, young Mr. Wheatley. We welcome you to this ancient and honorable profession. Mr. Wade's chair came down on all four legs. I heard him say, Ancient, right, honorable, hell no. In the interview, Wheatley gives advice to new attorneys and shares stories about his life and career, which included a harrowing account of being held at gunpoint by a disgruntled client. So he marches me out. And uh, as we go through the lobby, all our clients are sitting there. They were quite shocked to see me being pushed out of the office with a pistol between my shoulders. The interview was conducted by attorney James T. Cheatham in 2005 for the Chief Justice's Commission on Professionalism. Cheatham speaks first in the interview. Where did you attend college? I went to the Citadel a couple of years, then I transferred when I decided I was going to law school. I went to the University of North Carolina, and I went on to the University Law School. Now, you received your license to practice in 1941. 1941, that's correct. In the summer of 41. Passed the bar in August 41. Now, you didn't go right into practice with your dad then. He he was looking for you. Yeah, you? I went sailing, <laughs> and, and he finally caught me, made me go to work. Yeah. In fact, carried me up to the court in October to be sworn in for the Judge Frizzell, our resident judge. Right. Now, I understand one of the first cases you had as a young lawyer was defending a man accused of attacking a preacher with an axe handle or something. No, that wasn't my case. That was my father's case. That was a case in which, uh, right after I was sworn in as a lawyer, that October term, who, by the way, was that term was attended by Mr. T.C. Wade, our ex uh, clerk of the court. Mr. Wade always came to court on Mondays to hear the judge charge the grand jury criminal terms. And uh, he was sitting in the bar while I was being sworn in with his chair leaned back against the rail. And he had had his normal 
quota of what he called flim cutters in the morning. And as he was sitting back listening to Judge Frizzell swear him in, Judge Frizzell suddenly, after he finished, said, Welcome, uh, young Mr. Wheatley. We welcome you to this ancient and honorable profession. Mr. Wade's chair came down on all four legs. I heard him say, ancient, right, honorable, hell no. But Judge Frizzell kept right on going. He didn't let that bother him. Anyway, it was right after that that the uh, I went over with my father and sat down. He had the first case for trial, that criminal term. And that was a case where the preacher claimed that he had been assaulted with an axe handle by somebody during serious personal injury. And it appeared that on the cross-examination, my father asked him if he hadn't asked the defendant's wife to go with him to Chicago to be his handmaid, as the Lord had spoken to him in a vision and told him to take her. And when the defendant found that was happening, and he went out and saw the preacher sitting on his porch waiting for her. He uh, accused he was accused of assaulting the preacher with an axe handle. Now the defendant testified when he took the stand that after he saw his wife throwing clothes in the suitcase, stating that she was going to Chicago with the preacher, he asked her why. She explained about the vision. He said he went on the porch. And he had a few words of the Lord himself. The Lord told him to take that axe handle and go out and knock the so-and-so out of the preacher, and that's exactly what he did. Well, of course, that tore up the courtroom. They thought that was quite interesting. My father asked Judge Frizzell if talking to the Lord business didn't work on both sides of the criminal docket. He said it did in his court. He uh, dismissed the case. I immediately wrote... Uh, Professor Coates, my criminal law professor at Chapel Hill, had told him everything he had told me about criminal law was wrong. I just learned how to try a case. <laughs> Claude, your law practice was interrupted by World War II. Tell us about your service. I enlisted in the Army and uh, wound up at Fort Sill where I was commissioned, field artillery, and uh, spent the next four years in the 78th Infantry Division. You had uh, our friend Pew Bailey was in that division. Over yeah, Pew, Pew and I were together uh, for about uh, about three years, I guess. In that division in, right. Germ in Germany, or well, in no, Pew was, we went to when we went to Europe. When Pew uh, Pew went to Europe, he went to Europe in the hundred uh, sixth division. He was transferred to another division. Division artillery. He was right. also in the artillery. Right. Well, now, after the war, of course, you came back, started practice again, and got married. Yes. To Alice, and uh, I believe, how many sons do you have? Only four. Oh, four boys. Yes. Well, now, did all of those boys attend the Citadel? Yes, all four of them. All four. I was trying an Admiralty case in Charleston, and my oldest son, Rob had gone with me, he was about 16. And while I was trying that case, he was roaming around Charleston and went out to the Citadel and uh, saw it and uh, liked it. 
And I told him about being there a couple of years. So that's where he went on his own, and his brothers followed him. Well, now he and he ended up practice, going yes. to law school and yes. practices with you today. That's correct. He's here. Tell us about the story about picking up your two sons at the Citadel in Charleston to bring them home from college in your sailboat named the Miss Alice. That was his sophomore, end of his sophomore year, and my son David's freshman year. And we, I sailed out on the sailor back. I thought that'd be a great adventure. Turned out to be a disaster. We ran into a, almost a hurricane offshore, sailing back, and we managed to get home the Saturday about four days later. Now, Claude, once when I was visiting your office, when your office was backed up to Taylor's Creek, I looked in your window and saw a pistol under your desk. Can you explain that? The reason I had it in the office was because of an episode I'd had with a client who came in, who I represented in a land suit, and we'd won the case. But it was one of those cases that was very, very dismal for me. I didn't like the way he acted. Didn't like my client. I was hooked with the case. But when I finished that case, I made up my mind I didn't want that client anymore. Well, in about six, eight months, he had another case, which I refused to take. He got another lawyer, and he lost the case. And he blamed the, his loss on me. He said, if I'd tried the case, he'd have won it. In any event, one Friday afternoon, he came into my office and uh, told my receptionist that he wanted a drink of water and she let him inside the uh, gate, came inside and instead of stopping at the water fountain he came on back to my office and interrupted my uh, conference with a couple of clients stood in the door and I told him to go back and sit down he pulls out the pistol and I proceeded, to, he came in and said he's going to kill me and when he pulls out the pistol, comes and sits down, my clients, of course I got them out of the office but with his consent. And uh, then he proceeds to, so he's going to take me out. So he marches me out. And uh, as we go through the lobby, all our clients are sitting there. They were quite shocked to see me being pushed out of the office with a pistol between my shoulders. And uh, it hit the sidewalk. We go down to where his car was parked. He directs me to drive the car. So when I move around on the other side to uh, get other, on the driver's side, I get the car between us. I spot my son who, had, who knew the event. He had just joined me that Monday. This was Friday. And I uh, saw him walking down the sidewalk, and I was afraid that this man, his name was Green, would see him and turn around and fire at him. So I started cussing him in a very loud voice. I'm sure I insulted half the passengers on the street. But anyway, I uh, did it very loudly, called him all kinds of violent names. And he was trying to shoot me through the windows of the car. And uh, while he was doing this, Rob comes up behind him and grabs him. And I run around and get the pistol. As I got the pistol, I started hitting him in the head with it. 
because that was the first time I really was getting uh, uh, mad with him. And uh, Rob stopped me. Meantime, the police got there and arrested him. Rob and I walking back to the office. He'd been with us, though. That was, as I said, they'd been, this was his fifth day. And he asked me one question. He said, Daddy, is the law business always this hazardous? <laughs> I told him, I hope not. Well, that, uh, so I carried the pistol to the office from there on. Yeah. We'll be right back. Hey, Susan. Great to see you. Shopping for coffee? Hey, Sharon. Yeah, work's been really draining, and I need extra caffeine just to get motivated to finish the day. Well, you should really consider applying to work with me in the judicial branch. I know we're hiring for positions down at the courthouse. Really? Huh. I never really thought about a career with the courts. Well, you should. I love my job. I work 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, and I have generous paid vacation and sick leave, plus 12 paid holidays a year. No way. Do you have medical coverage, too? I sure do. I have medical coverage, a retirement plan, and flexible benefits that include vision and dental, among other benefits. And they trained me on what I needed to do. Wow, that really does sound like a great job. Where can I learn more? You can go to nccourts.gov backslash careers and view any current vacancies. Great, I'm going to check it out tonight. Don't wait any longer to start a rewarding career with the judicial branch. We have positions available in all 100 North Carolina counties. Do your career justice and apply today. Visit nccourts.gov slash careers to learn more. We now return to a 2005 interview with Beaufort County Attorney Claude R. Wheatley, Jr. In this second segment, Wheatley shares more about his life, his 70-year career in the practice of law, and gives advice to new attorneys. You know, when you came back after the war, started practicing again, uh, there were some judges, both of us remember as being excellent judges, Judge Fountain, Frizzell, and Cooper, and all. They didn't make a whole lot of money, though, then, did they? How much were they making? I think the judge's salary was $7,500 a year. Yeah. But they were dedicated and um, generally... They certainly were. Uh, good, they were. Good every judges. judge that you mentioned was a dedicated judge, did his best, worked hard, and if the case was going to be prolonged quite a bit, I've tried him right on through Saturday. In fact, I tried one, one Sunday afternoon. Yeah. These judges did their job. There I'm, it was, they felt it was their duty to clean up that calendar. Right. Well, you know, uh, and there's a little difference now. I don't know. Is it maybe the attitude or some of the younger judges are, are not as disposed to, to, uh, to do that? Uh, well, that's true. That's true. Uh, the fact is I've had a judge not very recently to tell me we didn't finish by Friday uh, as he was going to be busy the following week. He was going to declare a mistrial. Yeah. 
unless we settle the case. Right. Well, now, I think we've talked about before, but you feel, and I tend to agree with you, a lawyer that is, becomes cantankerous in the courtroom or does something uh, out of the ordinary uh, unfair attack, that doesn't always produce good results for him, does it? I've always found that the lawyer who, if he was attacked by his opponent or even got harsh treatment from the bench, the jury felt great sympathy for him. And if he kept his composure, was the, was the sufferer, so to speak, he, that usually helped him. Yeah, and it was always it was always a great uh, mistake I felt to fight back, try to protect yourself, as one person once described it, be the suffering servant. Right, and this is something that young lawyers need to learn and need to know. The, don't go in there and be the arrogant pusher. If you are being mistreated, we were. Uh, Take it, take it, yeah. respond as you can. Try to explain whatever you've got to do, but don't fight back. Don't use harsh language. Yeah. I, uh, we tried a case, John Nobles and I were involved in a case in Raleigh, criminal action, several years ago. It was a drug case. There were six people. It was a very involved drug case. Judge Boyle was the presiding judge. And uh, for some reason, he got on John. John tried to I had I dropped out of the case. I had to come home. I got sick. And he got on John. And he was very violent in his statements to John. He was very harsh to John. And uh, when the jury verdict came in, John's client was the only one that won. He yeah. was found not guilty. The other five were, were uh, acquitted. And the jury came out to speak to John. Yeah. And that happens sometimes. Yeah, that's right. You, you know, you never know. You never know what's going to appeal to a jury. The first case I ever tried was a criminal case. I had three young men charged with rape on this dwarf, deaf and dumb, by the way. And uh, the evidence was really insignificant. But it was a local case, and the people made a great effort. The court realized, or the state realized, that it was weak in its presentation of evidence. And they had 27 charges against these three boys. Well, when I got ready to go to the jury, I uh, was trying to think of something to attract their attention. And I thought about the old uh, story of the mongoose, and uh, I didn't. I knew they'd never heard of a mongoose, but I thought I'd tell the story anyway. So I told them there was a man who had snakes in his yard, and he'd heard of that mon uh, mongoose would take care of the snakes. Well, he found a book in which somebody apparently spoke about somebody who raised these things. So he wrote a letter to dear sir. Send me two mongoose. Well, they got to look at that letter. Is that right? So he tore that letter up and wrote another one. 
said, Dear sir, send me two bond gooses. <laughs> well, he got to look into that letter, and he wasn't sure that was right. So he wrote a third letter. Dear sir, send me a mongoose. And by the way, while you had it, send me another. And I told that jury that's what the state was doing in that case. They, if you can't convict him on this one, pick him on this one. Well, I won the case. The judge was quite amazed that they returned not guilty uh, 27 times. When the, when the jury was discharged, a couple of jurors came over to me and said, Claude, tell me that mongoose story again. <laughs> That's the only thing they remembered about the case. That's right. So you never know what they're going, what's going to impress the jury. Sure. Well, now, don't you think nowadays with so much competition among lawyers, sometimes they tend to maybe take a case doesn't have any merit, or they let the client tell them whether, what to do or how to handle a case instead of adv advising the client. Do you see that now? I notice that most young lawyers have to cross that bridge. They're sitting there, in comes the client, especially if it's a malpractice case. Yeah. And they, the client insists that there's sufficient evidence for the malpractice action or the other action. And there isn't. And the young lawyer knows that. But the client says, all right, I'll pay you 10,000 bucks retainer. I want you to do it. Well, the temptation is great. He does it. He brings a case, charges this doctor or this lawyer even with malpractice. And there's absolutely no legal basis for the charge. It's a Rule 11 situation to start with. The young lawyers is really hooked in trouble and a lot of judges will will see that and a lot of judges will uh, call that young lawyer and advise him of, of the danger that he's exposed himself to but uh, one of the great temptations in the law is to let our clients come in and say now this is what we expect you sir to do and we stupidly follow that uh, demand on right. the part of the client it's hard sometimes to have a client that you have to come in and make the demand and you tell him you haven't got a case. He insists that he has. You know, well, you haven't. You haven't. And I'm not going to bring it. Right. That's what the lawyer has to do. Right. And we do it daily. Claude, there are going to be some young lawyers looking at this video. Is there any advice you can give them about how to proceed in, in arguing a case and being prepared? Well, not only do I want to speak about preparation being the absolute essence of a trial practice, but also want to say that just because your opponents are experienced, trial lawyers, and you perhaps are a beginner, don't let that frighten you. Go after it. Look into the facts of the case. Because they are experienced and elderly doesn't mean they're right. Go ahead and take a look and see. Get prepared. Look for the situation. Uh, look for the situation as it is. Thank you for listening to All Things Judicial, a podcast of the North Carolina Judicial Branch. You can find out more about the Judicial Branch by visiting nccourts.gov.